I've sometimes been asked why the Bible is so important to me. I suppose one reason is that the same mother who showed me that God is more than just a word also taught me that Scripture is more than just a pattern of ink on paper, that it points the way to a, a wisdom and hope and, and a love, that it points the way to everything that makes life worthwhile, so that for me it holds a profoundly mysterious and cherished significance. I've also been asked many times if I think the Bible is inspired, whether it really isn't more inspiring than inspired, whether it really is, as most Christians say, the Word of God. The pastoral letter of 2 Timothy 3.16 has often been used, rather incorrectly, I think, to answer that question. It reads, this is the King James Version, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, that needs to be clarified in a number of ways. First of all, at the time the pastoral letters were written, Scripture technically meant uh, the writings which were sacred uh, to ancient um, Israel. In fact, the word translated as scripture here in 2 Timothy is graphe, or uh, writing. However, the question of whether what was being composed by the writers of uh, what came to be known as the Christian canon were inspired, that, that question would probably never have occurred to the apostles or earliest Christians at least not in the sense we mean it. The apostles, um, full of the Spirit, empowered and guided by the Spirit, as uh, the earliest Christians saw it, spoke as the approved emissaries of Christ. In the first letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul is very clear about that. What he, what he teaches, he believes, is what has been taught to him by the Holy Spirit. And at times, he even can make a distinction between his opinions and the more direct will of God. If we were able to go back in time and ask the Apostle Paul, how do you know what you have written is inspired or literally God-breathed, is the word of God, has, has the power of the Holy Spirit about it? He would probably simply say, look at what you see in the lives of the people who genuinely understand, embrace, and practice these words. Look at their effect. Observe the justice, the kindness, and the compassion with which they now live. This leads to a second thing that needs to be noted, and that is um, the ambiguity of this verse's original meaning. In the original, the word translated in the King James Version, as well as other translations as inspired, is literally God-breathed. The biblical breath of God is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the same word is used in the Bible for wind, breath, and spirit. The breath of God is a Holy Spirit in which there is power and life and truth. 
So the text is not describing a mechanical process by which doctrinal or theological propositions are communicated. Uh, that's not the point at all. What is in view here is that the energy, the life of God's Spirit moves in and through Scripture and into our lives to spiritually transform us. Uh, it's very much like um, uh, Hebrews 4.12, which reads, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The concern here in 2 Timothy um, 3, then, is with how Scripture functions to spiritually transform us, not with any theory of inspiration. I suspect that many of our questions about inspiration simply do not apply to things as they really are. C.S. Lewis suggested that sometimes we ask questions that make sense to us, uh, but uh, and, and to which we really would like to have an answer, but they do not relate to, to the reality we are encountering. encountering. Our questions are like asking, how high is green, or is two north of south? The ambiguity in this verse is further heightened by the fact that there is no is in the sentence. And the chi, generally translated as and, can be translated as a qualifying adjective, in which case it would read literally, every God-breathed writing is also useful for. This would seem to fit the context better. Uh, Paul has not been discussing the doctrine, theology, or concept of inspiration, but the manner of everyday spiritual life as it relates to the followers and to the ministers of Christ. In the preceding verse, verse 15, Timothy is reminded of the strength that resides in his having experienced and known uh, the scriptures as a deep and powerful wisdom, the wisdom of salvation. It can, therefore, be legitimately argued that this verse does not say all Scripture is inspired, but all inspired Scripture is useful. Perhaps the most literal, though not smoothest, translation of 3.16 is, every writing God breathed is also profitable for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I would translate 2 Timothy 3b through verse 17 like this. From childhood you have known the sacred writings, which, understood through faith in Christ, are able to make you wise in the way leading to salvation, the sort of life that is large, expansive, and free. Every God-breathed scripture is able to show us the reality of things. It reveals where we are merely being defiant, helps us to correct our mistakes, shows us how to live lives that are complete and whole, and enables us to work creatively for everything that is truly good. The phrase, 
God-inspired, literally God-breathed, occurs only this one time in the New Testament, but it occurs a number of times in pre-Christian Greek writings and accurately expresses the view of the first century Jews regarding um, Scripture and their understanding. that was uh, then later adopted by the early Christians. And as attested to by 2 Peter 1.21, which says that in prophecy, those moved by the Spirit of God spoke from God. And like 2 Timothy 3.16, it is clear that 2 Peter 1.21 is not concerned with the mechanics of inspiration, uh, like a scientist describing the process of biosynthesis, but how it is a true message of life and hope and goodness energized by the Spirit of God. Marcus Borg, the highly successful author and popular lecturer, argued that the Bible is both sacred scripture and a human product. However, by sacred, Borg did not mean that the Bible was in any sense divine in its origins or inspired. It is, he said, human in its origin and production, and sacred in its status and function. I know many recovering alcoholics who would regard what is affectionately known as the AA Big Book in the very same way written primarily by Bill Wilson, with advice and suggestions from Samuel Shoemaker in Shoemaker's personal library and study, and serving or functioning as a revered and authoritative guide and as motivational material for recovery from alcoholism, as well as the conduct and work of the AA Fellowship. I would agree with Borg that the Bible is most certainly a human product. It reflects the individuality of its various authors, the individuality of their literary style, their temperament, their spiritual and religious perspective. It, it did not fall out of the sky as golden tablets written in an unknown celestial language. It was written by people who ate and slept stubbed their toes, and who spoke and wrote in, in ordinary, everyday language. The, the, the only language we have, outside of maybe esoteric mathematical symbols, to talk about anything, no matter how important, including God and the meaning of life. They experienced times of deep thought, intense spiritual passion and intimate spiritual communion and depression. They wrote using simple bird feathers as pins dipped in homemade ink and written on animal skins or papyrus using a process discovered and developed by human ingenuity. But I seriously disagree with Borg's insistence that Scripture does not have God as its ultimate source. If God is personal, if God is actively involved in 
Anyway, with human beings, especially those of uncommon spiritual depth, if God by any means and to any degree has whispered glad unutterable realities of truth, goodness, and beauty into the souls of the biblical writers, then I must conclude with the apostle that in the final analysis, quote, prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, unquote. Second Peter 1.21. I believe then that scripture is sacred, not because I have warm, nostalgic feelings toward it, or because it outlines a constructive way to live or is inerrant, or because it is significant to the history of the Christian religion, but because, in addition to other evidence, I have had many uncanny experiences in which Scripture has, I don't know how to describe it, touched the deepest places of my soul and brought enlightenment. Furthermore, experiences in my life and in the lives of friends in which uh, a word or sense of courage, strength, wisdom, and even knowledge uh, has seemed to come from beyond my own mind. And that convinces me of both the possibility and the probability of revelation, of, of inspiration. Now, to affirm that the Bible contains graphe, writing, that is, in some sense, inspired, is not the same thing as saying it is inerrant. Uh, the, the English word inspired is not a bad translation of the original Greek theonuestos in 2 Timothy 3.16 meaning God breathed. Our, our English word, inspired, uh, comes from um, the, the, the Latin word, uh, inspirare, uh, which was used in translating Greek into Latin. The Latin means blown into, with the idea of uh, filling with an exalted influence. In English, it has come to mean to give someone a creative or exalted uh, thought, idea, feeling, or awareness of something, or to motiv motivate to a higher achievement or purpose. That's inspiration. But what is inerrancy? Inerrancy is the insistence, in my opinion, the erroneous insistence, that because the Bible is inspired or because of the specific way in which fundamentalists think it is inspired, it is free from any mistakes or errors in history, in science, or in faith. Unlike inspiration, inerrancy is not a biblical, patristic, Catholic, or Reformation concept. The Princeton scholar B.B. Warfield and his colleague Charles Hodges argued in 1881 uh, against criticism, the criti against the criticism 
of certain German scholars who were challenging the trustworthiness of the Bible. They were arguing that the Bible, uh, the German critics, uh, the, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Hodges and um, Warfield were arguing that the Bible was not only inspired, as I have outlined here, but that it is inspired in all of its parts, including its very words, and therefore without error. Everything is there because God wants it there. If it's not there, God didn't want it there. So the doctrine of inerrancy is, a, is really a little less than 150 years old. I believe it is an egregious error to impose on the Bible our own judgment as to how God ought to have inspired the Scripture or how he did it. Consequently, I do not believe the Bible lying on the table next to me right now is inerrant or given by some process of word-for-word -word divine dictation. Neither do I believe it is an entirely human product. I believe Scripture is the essential and trustworthy narrative of God's unfathomable and inexplicable love for us. The experience of that reality has been for me the chief glory of my life. Well, that will conclude this reflection. In the, in the next reflection, uh, I will uh, look at what some of the uh, German scholars um, were developing that Warfield and Hodge were uh, were opposing, and what has come to be known is as the uh, historical critical uh, method.